The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Dear listeners, I welcome you to another episode of Welcome to Islam. My name is Ismail and today inshallah we will carry on with the second part of Marriage Advice for New Muslims by Muhammad Tim Humble. This is in collaboration with Islamwise who run their regular monthly webinars and this show is pre-recorded. But if you do have any questions, comments or suggestions for us, please do contact us on our studio number which is 01582481810 or you can send us a message on WhatsApp on 0777948182. I will repeat that's 0777948182. So regarding today's episodes if you have any questions, any comments to make, please 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 do get in touch with us. So inshallah, uh, as you know this show is for new Muslims and converts if there is any way we can support you or if you have any questions that we can answer again please feel free to contact us without any further delay let's go ahead and listen to today's program inshallah i think there are two things that i would advise people to do and i think this is pretty sensible advice i think the first thing is tell as many people as possible that you're looking to get married who can help obviously don't tell people who can't help tell as many people as possible who can help because people know people who know people who know people and it's helpful if you give them something like a little a little you know sort of little cv i don't know if that's the right word you know something where you just write a little bit about yourself you know don't put a photo on there or anything like that but just you know your name your age what you're looking for because otherwise your net is too wide you know you're going to get everybody and anybody you're like i'm looking to get married Okay yeah there's a you know I know this guy uh, he doesn't pray but yeah I know someone who's getting married but you know she's looking to get married um but uh, she doesn't you know she doesn't live here or she's going to get married but she's 20 years older than you or 10 years younger than you or whatever it might be so it's useful just to put down a few basic ideas don't make it too strict don't make it too you know too much but a little bit of a few little criteria just to help you to filter down to to the right sort of person you're looking for So a sister says I'm looking for a guy between the age of this and this ideally I'm looking for someone who has you know a steady job looking for someone who hasn't been married before or maybe you don't mind about that like for example I mean what is it that you're looking for that that are your basic criteria obviously religious criteria you know that we said has to come first and so on And then the second thing that I would recommend is I highly recommend generally the use of websites uh and apps that not not dating websites or dating apps but websites that are specifically designed for practicing Muslims to look for spouses. And the way these websites work is you just upload a profile of yourself I do not and I'm going to say again 100 times do not put your photo because you do not know who's going to be looking at that photo. There's no way to control on a website who's looking at that photo. So my advice is you don't put a photo. But what you do is you put a profile. This is who I am, this is what I like, this is what I'm looking for and they show you profiles of many other people. Now, you know in one of the things that is uh, one of the things that's you know that's useful about that is that when you're talking to your friends you might have 10 friends and they might know two people who are going to looking to get married you go on one of these websites and you can see 2000 people who are looking to get married 4000 people who are looking to get married there's a much bigger pool of people to look for but i have two conditions number one, don't go anywhere near a dating website even if it's a muslim dating website and yes there are muslim dating websites and may allah keep us safe uh but keep away from anything that is like dating anything that is like you know chat meet to the guy let's meet tomorrow uh where can i see you or let me take you out for a meal none of that stuff 
you know, we're just talking about somewhere you can upload a profile and you can see the profile of people who match your criteria. And the admin has mentioned that there is a particular website. Now, me personally, I, I, I'm not going to endorse a specific website because I don't have experience with them in that way. But there is a website that the admin is recommending and they have an offer as well for you. So please do have a look at that. I believe it will be mentioned in the chat, inshallah ta'ala. Um, at the end of the day, that's one of the good websites uh, that I recommend. Uh, talking about one, that, another one that I, I do recommend uh, that I have some experience with is also uh, is a website called Sunnah Marriage UK. Maybe the admin can find a link for that. Um, I'm not sure if it's active right now, but I do know the brother involved in that. He's a very, very, very conscientious brother who's really trying his very best to help people to find the right people to get married to. So these are some examples anyways, and, and you guys can, you know, I'm sure you can find more. But don't go for the ones that have, you know, you put your photo on there, you video chat, you Skype different people. Because, it, you know, at the end of the day, you, you're not like a product on a shelf in a supermarket. You know, it's not like everybody look at me. You know, it's finding the right person. And this brings me on to, you know, probably an important topic, which is a lot of people feel very uncomfortable with the idea of the way Muslims get married in the first place. You know, like, how do you get married to someone you don't even know? And I think that getting married to someone you don't know, that's probably a little bit of a, a little bit of, of um, it's not exactly how things are. But in Islam, what you're looking for is you're looking for religion, you're looking for compatibility, you're looking for character, and you're looking to make sure that you have enough information to get married to that person. And then you're looking to build the relationship from the day that you get married. As is the, you know, it's often the opposite, certainly in the culture I come from, the situation would normally be that you would meet someone, probably live together for, you know, five, six years. Then when you have a commitment to each other, get married. But in Islam, it's a little different. So it can be a little difficult to get used to that concept and that idea, um, you know, that, that uh, this, that a, a person sort of, you know, has to get used to the idea that I'm going to be getting married to somebody that, you know, I don't know that well. At the same time, you're not getting married to someone anonymous. It's not blind, you know, like a blind date where you just, you know, sort of like randomly turn up and meet somebody. At the end of the day, it's about researching them in a, in a way that makes sense. And not just, you know, by, oh, I like the look of her. Now I've lived with her for two years. Let me marry her. It's more like this is a person who fits my religious criteria, who wants what I want, who we have compatible personalities. That doesn't mean we have the same personality, but we have compatible personalities. We, we love the same things. We want the same things. And, you know, we have that love of Allah, the love of his messenger. We're physically attracted to each other. And we're happy that we, you know, we understand what each other wants, what we want from each other. And that is the idea. That's the concept. And it's about growing the love from the day you get married, not necessarily having this engagement period and, and things like that. And I'll come to talk about that in a little bit, a little bit more. So the next issue that I'm going to deal with is those people who are under too much pressure to get married. So this particularly happens with sisters, but it happens with brothers as well but especially it happens with sisters, that the day the sister becomes Muslim, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah. I bear witness that there is no God except Allah, and Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. What happens? Sister, I have an excellent brother for you to get married to. He's really, he's really willing to marry you today, this evening. And this is really, in my mind, I do not advise this at all. I think that you don't have the right knowledge to know who is right for you at that stage, to judge someone's religious commitment and who is and who isn't, it opens up exploitation because at the end of the day, they know that you don't have the family support and the people behind you to be able to really help you and really support you in, in what you need. And it opens the door for people who maybe, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit unfair, but people who really wanted to meet a woman like you anywhere, you know, out in the, in the street somewhere, but, you know, they happen to find one who had become Muslim and, and well, that must be better. It's not, it's not a foundation for a lasting, a lasting, uh, a lasting marriage. And it's something which can create 
uh, a lot of difficulties for people. So I'm not going to say turn down a really good opportunity. But in your first days of Islam, spend your time to get used to the religion, get near to Allah, focus on praying, focus on you know, learning the basics. And then when you're ready to get married, get married. It's not a case that you feel pressure. And it's not just the sisters. It happens also. It happens also to, to you know, uh, the brothers as well. And it can be difficult because you can feel, you know, you can feel flattered in a way. You know, that you've become Muslim and straight away somebody wants to marry you. And, you know, you feel a bit flattered about it. You're like, wow, you know, like, I never got this before I was Muslim. You know, like, what is this? Like, uh, first day and everyone wants to marry me. Like, this is brilliant. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean those people are right for you. We've got to examine the religious commitment. We've got to examine the compatibility. We've got to examine the character. And you know, it's not just about knowledge. I was just looking at the chats, just flicking up and people say about marrying someone of knowledge. But I want to emphasize, it's not just knowledge. It's also character. Because you can say, I want to marry a person of knowledge, but at the end of the day, people of knowledge sometimes have, don't, don't have you know, the right kind of character. You know, or, you know, there's a lot of issues, you know, like people get into difficult situations and relationships and, and sometimes second marriages and all sorts of things that are going on. And really the question is, are they really, do they really know what, what they are looking for in a spouse and are they really ready to get married? So my situation, my thing would be to say, you know, maybe don't turn it, even turn it down. If you think it's a good marriage, say, look, you know, I am... I'm, I'm happy to consider it, but at the moment, I need to focus on my Islam. And when I feel more confident and I feel stronger in my faith, then inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to move forward. Now, I also want to talk about, even though it's not a nice topic, but I want to talk about this as well, is a topic of exploitation. Sadly, there are people, and I'm really sad to say this, but there are people who look out for people in this situation, reverts and they prey on them. And they try to exploit them. And they try to get them into marriages that are not good for them, or sometimes not even proper marriages at all. You know, they're actually not even Islamic marriages at all. And they often, you know, twist uh, the texts and, and really, you know, it's really, really sad. But it does happen. And so I would advise everyone, brothers and sisters, be on your guard. Have advisors around you. Have people who are maybe a little bit older, a little bit wiser than you. Have them check out what it is that you've decided to do and listen to their advice. Because often it's the case that the person you want to marry, you've got to be very careful, very careful, because there are people who exploit it. Some of them are more guilty than others because some of them exploit it deliberately and they know what they're doing. And some of them exploit it kind of out of their own ignorance, you know, like they also, if you ask them, they probably know that it's not a good idea for them to get married, but they're kind of like, yeah, it'll work out in the end, I'm sure, and I really want to marry them and so on and so forth. My advice on those people who feel too much pressure to get married is, def is two things. Number one, slow it down and focus on your Islam. And number two, have an advisor or have somebody who is um, around you who can kind of filter out those people. And this is one of the problems we have because a lot of the people who advise you are like, they also get flattered when you get flattered. You know, when you get someone telling you about, uh, about marriage and they want to marry you and the advisor is like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Someone wants to marry you on the first day and I wish this had happened to me. And you, you need somebody who's got the, their wits about them. You need somebody who's street smart. You need somebody who is really, you know, gonna put their foot down and say, you need to just go back. You know, like, I think it's very important. And this is where it probably is a good time to talk about the issue of the welly. Now, I'm gonna say, even for brothers, I think you should have an advisor. And I think it should be somebody ideally who is senior, who is respected, somebody who has experience in it and somebody who's willing to do the job, you know, as an advisor. Now, sisters, of course, you can't get married in Islam without having a guardian, a guardian. 
And that guardian in Arabic is known as the wali, the wali. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions around the wali and a lot of confusion around the wali. One of the misconceptions and the confusion around the wali is that you can choose whoever, whichever wali you want. Oh, he's my wali today and he's my wali tomorrow. In fact, the wali has already been chosen for you. So I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call it a wali because it's going to confuse you. I'm going to say the guardian, the one who is giving you away in marriage, has to be the judge or the person in, re, in the position of a judge. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ said in an authentic hadith, Ana waliyu man la waliya lah. I am the guardian of the woman who has no guardian. And he at that time was the ruler and the chief judge, of course, of the Muslims. And therefore we say that he or whoever he appointed in his succession and whoever comes after in terms of, you know, somebody in authority, that is the wali. And there's a reason for that. Because if we take away the wali system, we open the door to all kinds of exploitation. The wali system is not about a guy telling you who to get married to and who not to get married to. It's not about restricting you or causing you problems or making things difficult. It's about restricting people who would otherwise exploit you and making them realize that you're not defenseless. You have somebody who is going, who is not gonna allow this marriage to take place until they've made sure that this person has been given the proper consideration. The problem we have is that in most cases, the wali doesn't want to do the job. So if you're in an Islamic country that has a judiciary system and a court, the wali is the judge who does the marriage. If you don't live in an Islamic country and you don't have a judge who does the marriage, then I would suggest that probably the imam of a masjid or the community leader, you know, someone who's like an Islamic leader of their community and someone who typically marries people to each other and he typically officiates a marriage ceremony. This is the type of person who would be the wali. Now they are allowed to appoint someone else. So the wali, when you go to them, let's just say, for example, the wali is the imam of the masjid and you go to them and he says, look, I can't do the job. You say, okay, can you appoint someone to do the job? You say, okay, I appoint this person to do the job. That's fine. But what we shouldn't have is a wali who wants to marry the girl in the first place. That doesn't make any sense. The wali is supposed to be like a father figure, like someone who's going to check the guy out, going to give him a hard time. You know, like in, in the sort of traditional way that people used to get married. But what, what do you do if the wali is, spends more time looking at the girl than anybody else? You know, at the end of the day, the wali doesn't mean that you can be alone with them, doesn't mean that you don't have to cover in front of them. The wali is a stranger to you. But at the end of the day, the wali is supposed to act like a father figure. And it has to be a Muslim, so obviously it can't be a non-Muslim father or something like that. That doesn't mean you can't consult your non-Muslim father, you can. But the final decision rests with the judge or the one who is in the position of a judge, like the imam or the head of the Islamic center or whatever it is that you have in your local area. Now, a lot of sisters are gonna say that's not practical. And I agree with you, it's not practical because the wali is a big problem. The biggest problem I ever see with the wali is the wali just doesn't care. So the wali is like, yeah, I'll be your wali, no problem. You bring me whichever guy you like, I'll sign the paper. That's not a wali, that's not what your father would do. Your own father wouldn't do that. Your own father would, let me meet him, let me see how he is, let me ask him a few questions, let me make sure he's gonna treat you right. And yet you have a wali who is like, yeah, yeah, bring me anyone, anyone, anyone you find, don't mind, don't mind. as long as his name's Abdullah or something similar, just let me sign off on it. And that's the state of many of the people who act as a wali. Now, sometimes you can't change because there's just nobody else. You know, this is the imam of the masjid and there's no other. I mean, you could go to a different masjid, but often you end up in a situation where that's what you have. And if that's what you have, I would suggest if your wali is not active, that you look at another option. Now, you can't replace the wali. The wali has to be there. But what you can do is bring on board someone who might not be in the position of the wali, the guardian, 
but someone who can still look out for your interests. And I like to use the word wakil, a representative. A wakil is a representative. Now this person doesn't have any official authority. They can't tell you you're not gonna marry him. They can't say to you that, you know, like, oh, I don't think you should look. This is someone you choose who you think would be a good person just to watch your back and look out for you. They don't have to be an imam. Ideally, they shouldn't be someone there is a fitna, like there is an attraction between you and them, or there is, you know, someone of similar age. It should ideally be somebody, you know, again, somebody a little bit older or whatever, but somebody who's a representative for you. Now, it's unofficial. You can change and chop and choose as many as you like, and there's no regulation about it. It's just about having someone act on your behalf. So there's a lot of things that you can't do on your own, like go meet the guy on his own. You don't know what the guy might do. You don't know what the guy's going to be like. But you can send your representative to meet him. The representative might be more, give more care than the, than the imam gives, might give more care than the judge gives. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's not binding on you. If the, if the representative says to you, I don't think he's a good guy, you don't have to listen. But it's just about having some extra pair of hands to help you out. So I believe that it's very, very important that aside from having a wali, if your wali is doing his job and he really is acting like a father, then excellent. If your wali is not acting like a father and he's not doing his job, then I suggest that you find yourself a representative who is not going to do the job of the wali, still going to go to the wali at the end, but a person who's just going to look out for you. And they're easier to find because it doesn't have to be an imam, doesn't have to be a judge, doesn't have to be a scholar. It could just be somebody who, you know, is going to look out for you. And that person doesn't, it doesn't have to be a binding agreement that whoever he agrees with. It's just about finding somebody who's going to look out for you, going to go meet people for you, going to go check people out for you. You know, it's something that I found to be extremely, extremely beneficial is to have this idea of having a wakil or a representative and you say you know like brother i found a brother for marriage this is who the brother is would you mind meeting with him and telling me your opinion yeah sure because you know you're not asking me that i have to do the nikah that i have to do the marriage that i have to be this big judge or something you're just asking me to go check the guy out and give you my opinion but it's worth doing it's worth doing and the similar idea not quite the same could even work with the opposite gender as well with regard to men looking for women, is if you have a female who is a female relative or maybe someone older from the community, like an auntie or something, um, who you, know, you feel more comfortable dealing with, you could say, can you go and meet that lady for me and tell me more about her? Because I feel me meeting her on my own, my, I'm, I'm gonna be a bit uncomfortable. But maybe if you go and meet her, you, know, you tell me what she's really like. There's nothing wrong with that and it can be very, very helpful indeed. Okay. On the last one on this first set of scenarios is those who became Muslim because of marriage. Those people who became Muslim because of marriage. This is a difficult one. And it has a number of different scenarios in it. Um, what's really, really important if you become Muslim because of marriage, the most important thing is that you give Islam time for you to be able to learn and be able to grow as a Muslim. Because you being a Muslim is more important than you being married to a Muslim. And I know that maybe when you first, you know, decided to, to get married because of, and you decided you're going to convert and you said, well, you know, religion doesn't matter that much to me. And I convert, Islam is the same as Christianity anyway, or it's similar enough. And, you know, that kind of idea. You know, it can be very difficult to really get your, sort of, really get your feet firmly planted as a Muslim. So I think the answer to that is learning. You know, give some time to learn Islam. Even if you become Muslim just because of marriage, give some time to learn Islam. You know, it's not that, you, you know, you don't have to, reconvert or something like that. It's just the case that you, you know, Islam is only accepted from you when it's sincere. It's got to be for God. It can't be for anybody else. It's got to be for Allah. So if that's the case, then, you know, it's about learning enough of Islam to make it settle in your heart and then making that decision that, yes, I am going to get married, 
But at the same time, I'm going to become Muslim for me. And so we always encourage people who come to our center and say, my husband's, a, my, my, sorry, my fiance is a Muslim. I want to get my, become a Muslim so I can get married to him. We always say to, to that person, come to one or two classes. Just listen a bit about Islam so that something can settle in your heart more than just, you know, the fact that your spouse is a Muslim. On the other side, there are other problems. When that happens and that person gets Islam settled in their heart, you get all kinds of problems. One of the problems is that, that often that convert suddenly starts to think that their spouse might not be a good person for them because they fell in love with their spouse when they were not committed to Islam and the spouse was not committed to Islam. And then what happens? Suddenly they've learned about Islam and they've gained commitment. And you know what happens with reverts when we, you know, when we get commitment in Islam, we get commitment in Islam, usually. Like when somebody really wants to become a Muslim and they really dedicate their lives to it. And then the spouse, look, I didn't marry you for this. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. You know, I mean, I've had, uh, for example, a, a new Muslim lady who will say that I decided to put on the hijab and her biggest obstacle is her husband, that she became Muslim because of him. And he says, well, I, I, don't, I didn't marry you for you to put on a hijab. Why are, you, why are you covering yourself for? I married you and you were wearing whatever you wanted, you know, like your inappropriate clothing and whatever you were wearing. Well, I, that's what I wanted from you. I didn't want you to be covered up and wearing hijab. And why are you praying now? Who do you, do you think you're more religious than me? These problems happen also. One of the ways to stop that, there's probably two pieces of advice that I would give. The first thing is learn along with your spouse. You know, if you became Muslim for the sake of marriage, you go and learn and let them go and learn with you. Because if you're learning and you go off on a new tangent and they are not learning anything and they stay exactly where they are, this is going to be a reason for, for problems. And the other thing is, don't feel you need to apologize for your religion. You know, at the end of the day, born Muslims might say things like that, like, oh, I didn't marry you for this or whatever. But just be firm with yourself and say, at the end of the day, I, I became a Muslim and I've decided to practice Islam and you are going to have to support me in doing so. And if necessary, that may be a case where you need to get some outside help, some counseling and support to help the Muslim, the born Muslim, cope with the fact that the one that wasn't born Muslim has started practicing Islam more than they have. That does happen. That does happen a lot. So I now want to talk about uh, the process of getting married. Some of the tips about the process of, of getting married. So it's really clear or it should be really clear to everybody and again, my lecture, uh, the Looking for Love lecture might have more information in this, but uh, the process of getting married, what's really important is that we understand that there is no relationship in any way which is prior to the marriage contract. So even if you've agreed to get married, even if you have, you know, sort of seen each other and you're happy with each other, there's nothing has changed. In Islam, nothing has changed. You didn't become fiancé. You didn't become like, you know, engaged or something like that. You might have a promise to marry at some time in the future, but nothing has changed until that marriage contract takes place. So you can't start dating. You can't start like spending time together. You can't start being alone together. All of the things that you wouldn't do for other people, likewise, you shouldn't do because you have a promise to someone that you're going to marry them. Rather, that promise, yeah, it's something you're going to fulfill in the future. But until that marriage contract is done, until that marriage contract is done, then nothing has changed. So how do you deal and how do you interact? It's really important that there's no being alone together. You know, like that if you meet, you meet with other people with you. Preferably one person from, from, from the guy's side and at least one person from the girl's side. You know, so that there is not that... And it's a formal meeting. It's not a chat, you know, it's like a, like a dinner date or something. You know, like it's a formal discussion and a meeting. You are allowed to look at that person 
and you're allowed to, you know, to, to, to look and decide whether you're attracted to that person for as long as you need to look. But it's also about asking the right questions. And again, in the lecture, Looking for Love, there's a lot more detail on that. But I do think it's really, really important to ask questions. So we said there should be questions about religion, questions about character, questions about compatibility. So questions about religion, character, and compatibility. If we talk about questions about religion, you know, it's not really enough to just say, are you religious? Because sometimes I say, yeah, I'm religious. But you really want to sort of ask questions that kind of open-ended questions that kind of get you thinking about the person's religious commitment. I'm just going to give you an example of one because I've given others in other lectures and I don't want to take too much of your time. But I give an example of one question that I think is an amazing question. What kind of lectures do you like to listen to or books do you like, to, Islamic books do you like to read? So from this, you're going to get to know about what the kind of people they listen to. You know, are they, you know, just, I just read Quran. Or, yeah, I listen to this person and this person and this person. It's going to give you an insight to the type of person that they are and the type of religious commitment they have. And then ask them some questions like, for example, how often, you know, for a guy, how often do you go and pray in the masjid? What kind of Islamic activities do you do during the week? I, you know, do you go to classes? Do you study? Who do you study from? You know, those kind of questions. And I'm not saying they're the only things, but they're good questions to gauge a person's religious uh, commitment. And of course, your you know, the people who are backing you up and supporting you, your welly or your advisor or your friends or whatever, are going to check out the reality of that and make sure that it really is the case. In terms of, of character, it's a difficult one, you know, to ask questions about a person's character. Because if you say to someone, do you get angry? Even the most angry person in the world says, no, I don't, alhamdulillah, I don't get angry. And I'm really nice to everybody. You know, like that's, that's natural. People kind of have a, try to put across the best impression of themselves that they can. But in terms of character, it is important to ask. Um, it's important to ask, you know, um, I don't know, maybe something like, you know, how do you get on with your siblings? You know, what's your relationship, what's your relationship like with your parents? Um, if your friends can describe you with three words, what, what three words would they describe? You know, like, um, are you competitive? Like, I don't know, but, but the, the point is questions that really bring out the person's character. And of course, as you're talking to them, you will get a degree of their, you know, their character as well. You know, you could ask them scenarios like, you know, what would happen if I didn't, you know, if I didn't agree with you on something, if I, if I thought you were wrong about something? Like, you know, if, if you get the answer that I'm never wrong about anything, then you know the kind of person the person is. Or if you get the answer that, you know, I don't tolerate people to differ with me. I don't tolerate people when they, you know, I, I don't tolerate a spouse who doesn't agree with me or something like that. You know, it's important to, to ask about those things. And it's also important to ask about compatibility. So that could be like, where do you see yourself in five years time? You know, what kind of a family do you want to have? Where do you want to live? Um, what do you think about, you know, living alone, living with family, whatever it is? You know, ask questions about compatibility. You know, if you want to work and, and they, you think they don't expect you to work, then ask about it. You know, like if I, if I want to work, you have any objection to that? Like anything that you think might be an objection or an issue or a cultural issue, ask about it. You don't have to ask it all in the first sitting. But ideally, you're looking to, you know, find out as much about the person. And, and my preference is find out as much about the person before you meet them you know, email or whatever it is, you know, ideally not one-to-one, -one, you know, share it with the other people who are involved. So it's not like a private chat or something. But, you know, try and find out more about the person before you meet them. Because you don't even want to be meeting someone who you're fundamentally not compatible with, right? You want to be meeting somebody who has the right kind of compatibility. So I would ask questions about religion, questions about character, questions about compatibility, and also have your friends and the people supporting you try to find out as much about that as possible. I also recommend that obviously before you make a decision, you do two things. Number one, you consult other people because Allah commanded 
the Prophet ﷺ and he commanded all of us and consult people about important matters. So you consult people. That means you go, you know, you don't make your decision right there and then. Go on, you consult. And the second is that you pray what we call the istikhara prayer. The istikhara prayer. And if I can ask the admin brother to just post the link for the how to pray the istikhara prayer. I think it's 2217 on Islam QA. Could you just uh, pull that out? How to pray the istikhara prayer from Islam QA and you put it in the chat for everyone. Uh, it's basically a special prayer of guidance where you pray two units of prayer and you ask Allah uh, to guide you to what is best and to help you to make the right decision. Now that doesn't mean you know, you're gonna get like a dream that oh, I've seen this person. It just means that if it's good for you, Allah's gonna make it happen. And if not, Allah's gonna give you something better. And it's always about that. You know, it's, it's Islamic insurance, istikhara or seeking advice prayer, the prayer for seeking advice, this prayer is like Islamic insurance. You're asking Allah that if anything goes wrong, keep me away from it. And if it's good for me, make it happen. So inshallah, the, the, the link will be there with a bit more information on that topic. I think it's really important, two more things about the process of getting married before we go on to the topic of people who are already in a marriage and the issues that they might be going through. Uh, the, the, the issue of uh, two more things. The first is I recommend that once you've made a firm decision to get married and you've consulted and you've prayed your istikhara and you've found out everything you want to find out, you've asked your questions, I seriously, seriously recommend that you don't delay the contract of marriage. You can delay living together, you can delay, you know, like having a party or a wedding ceremony, but don't delay the contract of marriage. Because once that contract is done, you are husband and wife. And you can, you know, be alone with them, chat to them, go out for dinner with them, and all of the other things that husband and wife would do. So that gives you a bit of flexibility, even if you don't want to live together. In fact, it almost offers a solution to the problem who feel of the people who feel uncomfortable about the way you get married in Islam and they, you know, they're, you know, they're kind of used to the idea of dating and then you know, getting married. At least when you have the contract, maybe you're not gonna be intimate, maybe you're not gonna live together, but at least you have that contract and at least you can freely talk and meet. And especially for a revert who might not have family to support and things like that, it means that you already have that family in terms of marriage and you already have that support with you. And then after that, you can take your time in terms of living arrangements and, uh, and things like that. I would also recommend that you are not frightened to say no. A lot of people think as soon as they have a meeting with someone, they have to say yes. That's not the case. You know, I think that before you even have a meeting with someone, you should tell them, I'm not going to tell you my decision in this meeting. I'm not going to tell you my decision in this meeting. I'm going to go home. I'm going to seek some advice. I'm going to pray istikhara, etc., etc., And then I am going to come and I will give you my answer. Because it relieves the pressure from you. There's so much pressure on you to give an answer. SubhanAllah. Like, you know, you feel like pressure and you might be like, well, they seem okay. And even though they said this, but I'm sure I can manage. It's much better that you take your time. You say, look, it's been a good meeting. Uh, may Allah reward you. Uh, I'm very happy with our discussion, but I'm going to take my time. It's an important decision. I want to make sure I make the right one. So I'm going to go away. I'm going to pray. I'm going to take my time and I will let you know. And it's, it gives you the comfort to be able to say no. Don't be frightened to say no. Okay, so we've dealt with some of the issues before marriage, I know it's a long topic and, and I'm trying to cover as much as I can. Um, and we now want to come on to the issue of people who are already in a marriage. They're already in a marriage. Uh, and, you know, some of the issues that people uh, go through. First of all, generally on the issue of marital discord, marriage problems, I have another set of video. Um, I have a video uh, called, now that's a good question, what is it called? It's on the Kelima uh, YouTube and it's called Marital Discord maybe or Solving Marital Problems. 
um, something like that. In any case, I have a video on that topic as well. And uh, that video is uh, basically through my experience of being a marriage counselor, I went through all of the ways to solve problems in a marriage that I know of. And I think we came up with over 20 uh, individual points of benefit on to, in terms of that. So please do refer to that for uh, more information. But I want again to focus on some of the things that are uh, specific to the issue of reverts. So one of them we've already covered, which is the issue of going ahead of your spouse, that becoming more religious than your spouse. So this is the case where there's a revert who is becoming more religious uh, than their spouse and their spouse feels uncomfortable with it. And we said the best solution is simply to, uh, the best solution is simply to learn together. You know, make it a part of the marriage that you learn together from the beginning. Because if you start learning with that journey, then the danger is that, you know, there, there is a real danger that the, that the other person gets left behind. It can be the other way around. The spouse is certainly, you know, getting a bit more religious. And, you know, some Muslims find religion a little bit later on in their life, you know, a little bit more commitment later on in their life. And, you know, the, the, the new Muslim is like, look, I, I didn't, you know, like when I married you, you didn't look like this. You didn't behave like this. You didn't pray like this. And now you're, you know, now you're a totally different person. So this is also requires a bit of understanding. And I would again suggest that any revert who feels kind of overwhelmed by their spouse practicing Islam, I would suggest two things. Number one, your best weapon is knowledge. Because if you learn what Islam requires of you, you'll know if what they're doing is right or if what they're doing is wrong. You'll know about that. Also, I strongly recommend that you differentiate between Islam and culture. Because a lot of people don't do that. The spouse may say, I'm becoming more religious, but actually may becoming more cultural. And it may be nothing to do with religion. And again, that comes back to the same point of knowledge. Because a lot of Muslims who are born Muslim are not able to distinguish between their culture and their religion. Like for them, they know their religion is Islam, but they don't know what parts of it are from, you know, for example, there are you know, cultures uh, in which Muslims are that, you know, for example, there is mistreatment of women, for example. That's nothing to do with Islam. Islam absolutely has no, absolutely no concept of mistreating a, a lady. But there are certain Muslim cultures in which this is common. So a person may say, you know, may start mistreating his wife and then may say, well, I'm becoming more religious. But they become confused between their religion and they become confused between their culture. They become confused between their religion and between their, and between their culture. So knowledge will help you to be able to combat this. And if it becomes too much for you, either you feel your spouse is too far ahead or you feel yourself too far ahead, then definitely go through the stages of, of getting support, getting someone to help you. Maybe the person who helped you to get married or maybe somebody else, or somebody who understands and can be gentle and can keep the issue private. But don't expose it to everybody and don't talk about it to everyone. That's one of my, that's one of my uh, you know, key tips. Okay, uh, my next issue of people already in marriage is, you know, having, not having family to lean on. You know, traditionally, if you have, you know, family support, what you would do if you have a bad time, you can at least call your family. You know, you at least have your family to support you. And I still believe you need a support network. If your family are not supportive, that's one thing. But you need a support network. Now, I'd love to tell you that you can go to your local imam and they'll definitely help. But the reality is that not all of the local imams are knowledgeable about the problems reverts go through. I think it might be more sensible to go to a specialist group of people who deal with reverts. You know, we, we talked about, you know, Islam-wise and, 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 and other groups that are out there that specifically support reverts and are good at it. They may be able to give you some real help. You know, when you feel like you need someone to lean on, someone to talk to, you know, at the end of the day, often these issues are, are rescuable. You can rescue yourself out of them. But the, the issue is that you just need someone independent. And I personally prefer it not to be family anyway. Even when you have supportive family, I personally prefer that you don't involve your family. 
Because I think when you involve your family, you automatically make the issue bigger than it has to be. And then everyone gets involved and people start saying, see, you know, I knew you were no good and I told you shouldn't have married them and all of these things. Um, but, you know, by all means, that, that's, I, that's what I think is, is worthwhile. Get a specialist involved, a marriage counselor, or somebody who has experience dealing with new Muslims. One of the ones that I really wanted to talk about for those already in marriage, before I go to the questions, is not fulfilling expectations. This has happened so many times that I've seen in my marriage counseling. Uh, and I'll just give an example. Uh, a lady became Muslim and very quickly got married to a, probably too quickly, got married to a, you know, someone who was born Muslim. And, you know, he comes a few months later and they're having big fights. And he says, she's not a good wife. You know, she's not how a good dot, 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 you know, like a good Arab lady would be. I don't want to say the specific country that he mentioned, but he's like, she's not like a good Arab wife would be. And so it's a problem that the spouse is not matching the expectations of that born Muslim. You know, she doesn't cook for me. She doesn't do this for me. She doesn't listen to me. She doesn't, you know, like whatever. And the point is that here that, that really that person, when they got married, they wanted to marry the revert maybe for how they look or for who they are or their personality or whatever, but they, didn't, they, they wanted them to, to morph into, you know, what their mother was like for their father. You know, they wanted them to morph into that and give them unrealistic expectations. And when this happens, I have a real goal, you know, like I have a real goal with the person and I had a real goal with this individual. I said, look, at the end of the day, where did you get married to your wife? How did you get married to your wife? And he mentioned that he met her in not a very nice place, you know, not a very halal place. Um, and, and it wasn't a very halal introduction. And I said, and now you're complaining she's not a good Arab wife. You're complaining that she doesn't treat like how your mom treated your father. Well, that's, not, that's not right at the end of the day. But I tell you what will help. Both of those two need to go and learn the rights of the husband and the rights of the because the rights in Islam are non-cultural. These rights are not Arab rights or Asian rights or English rights or anything else. They are Islamic rights. If she's falling short in her Islamic duties, then we're gonna help her to grow and to do that. If he's falling short in his Islamic duties, we're gonna help her to grow and to do that. But as for this, you know, she doesn't do what my mom did for my dad, then that's not a valid excuse. But what is a valid way of measuring it is measuring it by Islamic rights. Because ultimately, all of us have to leave a part of our culture behind. You don't have to leave all of your culture behind, but you have to leave the parts that contradict Islam. And Islam clearly defines what a woman should do for her husband and what a husband should do for his wife. Very clearly defines. So like we said, that book series we mentioned earlier, where you can just go through and learn the rights of the husband and the rights of the wife without any cultural bias. And then that will help people to understand that you don't have the right to demand something which is cultural, but you do have the right to help each other to fulfill the responsibilities that are Islamic. So I've covered a number of different scenarios. I've tried to give some answers. I think, uh, you know, Time-wise, I've taken a, a big chunk of your time. And I think what's more sensible now is we go to Q&A. Now, I'm not going to say that I've covered the topic in, in, in any detail, but I think if you watch this webinar, and I, I'm, I'm recording it on my side, and I think the brother's also recording on his. Um, if you watch this webinar, inshallah, and you watch the video looking for love, and you watch the video on marital discord and disagreement, I think, you know, like, that would cover most of the, the issues that people have when it comes to uh, looking for a spouse or those who are already married. Now, let me go to the Q&A. So I'm going to, I know I've been seeing some Q&A coming on the chat. So what I'm going to say is, um, I'm going to say that uh, with regard to the admin, if there's anything in the chat 
that should be a Q&A. Could you please uh, post it for me as, a, as part of the Q&A, please? Um, that's for the admin, for the brother who is doing the admin. If, if you could uh, post it as part of the Q&A. So let me have a look at this question. Now, please uh, forgive me if my answers are a little bit brief. If they need more of an answer, I think getting in touch with uh, Islam Wise would be a good idea because obviously we don't want to take too much longer of your time, but I will do my best to, to really try and give you the best advice that I can. So the first one, accepted Islam in 2011 and involved in marital issues of fellow converts as well as Muslims. I have the following questions. Many Muslims use converts as a trap for their less practicing daughter. The situation becomes complex when they first marry off their daughter to some rich and handsome guy wanting to end up in divorce. Then they start considering a convert as uh, it's known that they might be more uh, sincere. And they may ask the convert to stay at the girl's house only. Yeah, this is a very valid example of what I talked about, about being aware of what's going on. You know, because it, it, can, it can sometimes, you know, be a little bit too good to be true in the sense, oh, yeah, you know, my daughter, and I would love to marry you to her. And you're thinking, okay, what's the catch? You know, so it's really important that, that you have two things here. It's really important that you have good support to give you advice. And it's really important you ask the right questions. Have you been married before? And I, I don't have anything against people who've been married before and, and it hasn't worked out. I mean, that's not an issue. But you have to make sure that there's a real reason and a real understanding as to why it hasn't worked out and, and that the, the issue is not going to be, um, is not going to be sort of, uh, sort of lost and, and, or repeated again. Mm, that's actually very good advice from Brother Tim Humble, asking the right questions. But unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show for today, but inshallah, we will continue with the third part. Uh, please do join us for our live sessions. And uh, if you've missed part of the show, please do tune in to our podcasts, which are available on Inspire FM uh, website. Uh, until then, please do take care of yourselves. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at Inspire FM Luton.